Folks, welcome to episode 57 of the FLW Podcast. I'm Jody White. I'm in Benton, Kentucky, and I'm joined by Kyle Wood in Hopkins, Minnesota. How's Hi. it going, Jody? It's uh, it's going. Um, I, I I fished two days this last weekend. That was great. It's supposed to be in the 50s wow. this weekend. Uh, very exciting stuff. Hey, it's supposed to be about that warm up here this weekend too. Well, now I'm less excited. <laughs> I would really like to be winning on the weather front. Well, you know, give it a few weeks and you'll definitely be way out of us. Okay. Well, I want to talk a little bit about some of the fishing I've done just because I'm fishing. And I want to get a Suze update. But first, I want to tell people a little bit what to expect going forward in this episode. Oh, sure. Um, first, we'll preview the episode. That's what we're doing right now. That uh, is second, this, yeah. Second, uh, we'll talk a little bit about our lives. Then we'll interview Philip Jarabek, or rather, I'll interview Philip Jarabek. I've already recorded it. It's, I think, phenomenal. Uh, then we'll break that down a little bit. We'll give a tip. We'll talk about uh, some FLW news. And then we'll give our usual social media plugs and be out the door. So that's yeah, what you got coming it. ahead of you this time. Should be a pretty good episode. I hope so. I, in fact, I think so. Um, <laughs> especially because I've heard the Jarabek interview and it had a lot of fun recording it with him. But as far as I guess your weekend went, did you have do you have anything interesting to report other than it being your birthday today? Uh, well, yeah, it is. It is my birthday today, and uh, so you know I've been slaving away, which is what I feel like I I do most of the time on my birthday. Now you know I'll probably go out to dinner later and, and have some fun. But, um, no, this past weekend, I really, um, I guess I went down to Iowa, uh, with a few buddies and went duck hunting on the Des Moines river, uh, which was pretty cool. Cause it's something none of us have ever really done before. Um, so it's always kind of fun exploring, you know, I think of it the same way as when you go to fish a new body of water. Um, so we had some good fun then, you know, hung out hunted with a few guys that I don't get to see too often. Um, you know, we shot a few ducks, had some laughs, and that kind of closed out the duck season. So now I'm, I'm ready to go ice fishing, which I know, you know, doesn't get you too excited, but gets me kind of fired up. All right, can I make you jealous on the duck front for a little bit? Oh, I guess. All right. So I was talking with Larry Nixon today. Oh. Boy. Um, he's getting ready. He's going to spend all next week down with uh, George Cochran, uh, in I guess Southern Arkansas. Yeah, ducks. they're good buddies, Nixon and Cochran. Yes, they are, and they they both love to shoot ducks. So that's what he's going to be doing all next week. I would suggest maybe you give him a call and ask him how it's going midway through, and you can, uh, <laughs> you know, he'll probably have regale you with tales of dozens of ducks or yeah, whatever. Maybe I can, is maybe a I can kind of grease the wheels on that a little bit, and you know, maybe one day I could be duck hunting with Larry Nixon. I think that'd be that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> that would be pretty sweet. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that that would. I feel like I I would settle for fishing with Larry Nixon. I would not need to duck hunt with him. I'd I'd like to do that one day. Yeah, I think either way it'd be super cool, right? Because either way you'd probably be talking about fishing. 
I don't know if you, I don't know if you could hang out with Larry Nixon and not talk a little fishing. I would definitely want to because man, that guy is just a fount of knowledge. I mean, he's he's seen everything. <laughs> oh no, it's, kidding! It's incredible. But yeah, no, that that was pretty much my weekend. I I didn't get a fish. Haven't been fishing for a while, but I I, I bet that you are probably chomping at the bit to tell us a little bit about how your weekend went. Well, you know, if I crushed him, I definitely would be. Uh, but I still haven't figured out how to crush him on Kentucky Lake. I fished, I basically fished two half days again, just because I've had just random stuff to do and things Like to, sleeping in or what? Oh, no, not sleeping in. Um, oh, like okay. chores around the house and uh, just like getting the boat, getting the boat ready. And then uh, I went fishing with a buddy one day and we had to... Uh, I had to wait for him to be ready because he had to walk his dog and stuff like that. So we Was that Dustin? Really... Yeah. Uh, um, Dustin Vall? How do you say his last name? Vall. Just like Vall, except with yeah, a V. that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Um, yeah, and he's, of course, qualified for the BFL All-American on Kentucky Lake this yes, year. Yes, he is. Uh, he qualified down at Pickwick. Um, he's really looking forward to that, I think. Oh, man, I bet. Uh, especially because he lives right here. But anyhow, um, so I went fishing two days in a row, and man, I never really got on anything. I caught some fish, caught a couple on a jerkbait, caught a couple on a jig and wrap, um, caught a couple on a jig, um, all fishing, you know, either around deep shad or just sort of wintertime stuff, like steep, steep banks, steep points, things like that. But I plainly, pretty plainly haven't got it dialed in yet. Um, but we're working on it. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, you got time. Now, the one thing I did want to know, because I thought I saw a picture of a shad that actually ate the jig and wrap. Did you actually hook a shad on a jig well, and wrap? What maybe. happened there? I think that it's more likely it was trying to sniff it and got hooked. Uh, it was kind of, it was hooked in the mouth, but it could have been like opening its mouth nearby. I didn't really feel it bite. Yeah, he was, sort of he was yawning. Was on. Um, but yeah, and we caught a net, which was pretty interesting. Um, oh yeah, I did see that picture. We caught. That'd be kind of cool. We caught a gill. It's a gill net, or at least that's what a buddy of mine, who's a fisheries biologist, told me. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know how long this thing was. It was in thirty-five feet of water. It had to be in. Uh, it had to have been probably fifty plus feet long. And Dustin snagged it on a blade bait and was able to haul it all the way up to the surface on 12-pound test, and we Dang. cut his blade bait out of it and then accidentally caught it again. Um, <laughs> it was set right by some brush piles we were trying to fish. Uh, so that was kind of interesting slash, slash, slash weird. Um, was there any fish uh, in the net? No. There was somebody else's crappy spoon in the net, which we took out of it. Uh, but... For some reason, there weren't any fish, and we kind of expected there to be fish in it just because it was a giant net set in Kentucky yeah. Lake. Like, you'd think it would have fish in it. How would it not? I know, and there were fish in that area because I caught two right there. Uh, I mean, not right on the net, casting away from the net, but, you know, it's not like the place was devoid of fish. So Right. Huh. It was uh, It was very interesting. Uh, but anyhow, that was that was sort of the week that was for me, and you know, right now I'm working on some stuff for the magazine, and I'm tweeting, and you know, watching the baseball winter meetings, and that, that's about it. Yeah, it sounds like you're keeping busy. 
I'm trying to. Uh, but anyhow, uh, that said, I think we should go ahead. We'll dive into our interview here with Philip Jarabek, and uh, we'll see you guys on the other side with uh, some Let's news. Let's do it. And now we're joined by Philip Jarabek. Uh, he's been fishing as a pro on the FLW Tour for two years now. Improved both years. This year he finished 11th in the Forestwood Cup. And we're probably going to talk about that in a little bit. Philip, how have you been? I'm doing pretty good. Just been working a lot. Fishing a little bit on the side and trying to catch a, trying to catch a bunch of stripers this time of year in, in Virginia. The striper fishing is really, really good, so... I've been doing well, catching a lot of fish. Looking forward to next year. Now, the striper fishing, I called you um, a while back for a, an article around Thanksgiving, and you were catching them on, like, on Kerr. Um, is it, are you still doing yep. that, or are you going off into Chesapeake Bay catching saltwater-type stripers now? I'm on the verge of the saltwater thing. The, uh, a couple of my friends that live down there have been busting a lot of saltwater fishing for them, but... And they catch they catch bigger ones, but I mean it's hard to beat it's hard to beat going down the bank or you know fishing out on a point in your bass boat you know on a lake that's nice and calm you don't have to worry about the three foot waves or high tides or something crazy making your day terrible yeah but yeah fishing on Kerr has been on fire this year I, I think I think a, a guy that I've I've fished with a lot he's probably fished that way for forty years and he's been going with me and he. He will say it. It's the best he's ever seen the striper fishing is this year. I mean, we had we had one day we caught 131 stripers, which is just unheard of, you know, for that lake. It's just so good right now. The, the bite that we had been on around Thanksgiving and right before Thanksgiving was up shallow, and uh, most of the ones that we're catching now are like 25 to 30 foot. So, huh? Do you know? Um, do you know why the bite's so good? Like, why there's so many stripers out there this year? Um, I don't know what, what's making them different, you know, or why one year would be different from another, you know, but I mean, I know, I know just getting out and learning, I know this year alone, I could write a book on what I've learned about striper fishing, you know, and it's, it's, it's come so far with the electronics we have and seeing where they are and seeing how they progress throughout the year. Like literally we're catching them in August. And the progression goes from August the whole way to now. Like it starts out catching them on top in just the evenings. They'll school up and bust on top. And that's the only thing you can get them to bite. And then it progresses as it gets a little cooler. They want something a little bit subsurface. They'll still school up top, but they won't hit a top water as good. And they'll start subsurface schooling. And it, it progresses and progresses and it gets cooler and cooler. And now it's more of a deep bite, you know, that they're still schooling. And every now and then they'll come up and bust on top, which you won't get a bite on a top water and you won't get a bite up, on, you know, in like the, say you're at 30 foot, you won't even get a bite in like the 10 foot range. You have to let your bait go down anywhere from 20 to 25. I mean, people go out there and just have no idea, but it's, it's truly like being able to follow the progression of how the bite changes. I mean, it's just totally unlocked the stripers, you know, at that lake. That's that's really incredible because the only time I've fished around stripers that I feel like are anything like that number that you're describing, um, is up in uh, is up in oh, man I forget the name of the river but it's in Connecticut and they run in from the ocean there but they're just I mean you can idle over them and you see bait ball after bait ball and 
sometimes your screen just fills up with stripers. Um, and I imagine it's probably a little bit like that, where you're, once you find them, you're just on them all day long. Right. Uh, the thing, the thing right now is, it, there are a lot of them are moving. Like the more cold the water gets, the more active they are. Like the more they'll roam and more they'll feed. You know, and there's there's a lot of places that I'm learning. It's what we call a contact spot, and it's it's like you say, once you find them, you're sort of on them. There's a couple of places that like they tend to use over and over, and it's not to say that there's going to be a big school there. But pretty much, if you make your lineup, it's just like bass fishing. You make your lineup and hit that brush pile, you catch bass. But striper fishing down here right now, they're set up on these deep drops and stuff. And you could line up and hit the same cast, you know, one day this week and then come back two days next week and catch them both times you go there. But, you know, this, the amount of stripers that are there will change. But there's certain places that you'll find that they just tend to hold and as the weather changes, they'll maybe hold in 20 foot or they'll hold in 40 foot. But they move around, but there's certain places you can just find them repeatedly. Hmm. Do you feel like, uh, do you feel like fishing in the off season is, I mean, regardless, you're not necessarily bass fishing, but do you feel like fishing in the off season helps you during the regular season? Absolutely. The, uh, I mean, I bass fish a little bit too, but just when it's so good striper fishing, it's hard for me to, to get motivated to go out there and struggle to catch a bunch of bass. You know, like, not that it's terribly tough to catch bass, but the sharp fishing has just been that good. But yeah, there's no doubt in my mind, the more you fish, the better angle you'll become. And, you know, you, you can put yourself through training, you know, mechanically catching anything, whether you're catching crappie or you're catching trout or you're catching stripers or bass or whatever you're fishing for. Like, you show me a good fisherman that knows how to catch a striper and he can catch a bass. You just need to teach him how. Yeah. You know, so mechanics are sharpened no matter what you're fishing for. You know, you're, you're constantly improving and, you know, staying up to speed on your mechanics, no matter whether it's bluegills or, you know, walleye. The more you fish, the better mechanically you'll be prepared in the future. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Even, you know, I've watched uh, people swap over from guys who are bass fishermen and teaching them how to fly fish a little bit or how to go after steelhead. And I feel like you can definitely see that just having that built-in experience helps a little bit. You don't even want to get me started on steelhead. I, I actually fish for them quite a bit. About every year I take a big trip to do that. And there's a, I mean, there is a huge, huge learning curve to bass fishing that you can learn from steelhead. And the reason why is most of the steelhead streams I fish, you can see them. And being able to see a fish and predict what it wants and seeing the way it reacts to baits is, is like crack cocaine to me. I mean, I love to sight fish. Absolutely love sight fishing. Just whatever you see, watching them react to what you're throwing and learning how to make them bite will make you a better fisherman, whether you're good at catching steelhead or you, know, you can just constantly get better. I just, we went and did a trip at the uh, beginning of November steelhead fishing and the creeks were like really super low for this time of year and it was pretty much all sight fishing I had a blast <laughs> that's awesome where do you usually steelhead fish here in Pennsylvania I grew up I grew up in Harrisburg Pennsylvania but uh every year we'd make at least one or two trips up to Erie it's about six hours from where I grew up and uh fishing all the streams up there that come in off of uh, Lake Erie 
That's cool. When I when I uh, grew up and living in Vermont, I used to always go over to the Salmon River um, around Thanksgiving to steelhead fish, and it wasn't. Yep. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't really sight fishing usually. Like I've I've, I've sight fished for a couple of them, um, but yeah. they're they're such electric fish. I mean, I've I've never hooked anything else in fresh water, and I have very li- limited saltwater experience. That just puts so much of a charge into you when you get one on the line <laughs> yeah the uh, a lot of people don't understand like a lot of my friends down here that live in virginia that you know the only trout fishing they've ever done is either in a pond or a little tiny creek but when you get up there on them bigger streams and you're you know you set the hook on a trout you have six pound test or whatever a four pound test and that trout just that still might be five pounds you might be 10 pounds you might be bigger i don't know but you set the hook on a steelhead with that long line and he takes off running and jumps six feet in the air and you're like oh my gosh you know you're standing in a stream you're like there's no way a fish could fight that hard in the stream you know but it's a blast yeah so you grew up in pennsylvania can you kind of take us i guess through the progression of how you ended up growing up in pennsylvania um i mean yeah david dudley's your uncle but you weren't necessarily fated to become a pro bass fisherman um can you sort of right. walk us through yeah. how you ended up uh going from somewhere in Pennsylvania to on the FLW tour? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep it quick. The uh, I started out as a kid. My dad is pretty much my fishing mentor. You know, David David Dudley's my uncle through marriage, and he's taught me probably more than anybody else. But if it wasn't for my dad, you know, teaching me all that he did and getting me involved as a kid, I wouldn't even have liked fishing to begin with. So, I mean, we went it didn't matter whether we went uh, bass fishing or walleye fishing or trout fishing. You know, we grew up, we grew up fishing a lot of the, uh, river, Susquehanna river, Juniata river and stuff like that. You know, when I got to be a little bit older and he would take me out on the boat and stuff, that's sort of where I started. But I mean, I was the kid that would literally get home from school and I lived in the country. So everything was far. Everything was a far drive just to get anywhere. But I was a kid that get home from school and begged my parents to let me ride my bike two miles to get to a little farm pond and just fish in the evening before dark. You know, I would do it. I would do it in a heartbeat. I'd do it like two or three times a week if they would let me. <laughs> I probably did it more than they wanted me to do. But um, after that, you know, getting through high school, actually, you know, David, I traveled with him for eight years in a row, but couple of those years was while I was in high school and I would travel with him during the summer and um, that's sort of what sparked my interest in like hey this is a possibility for you know a future job you know to be able to do this as a career it just blew my mind so that's sort of what drew me into it I mean I already loved it but uh, I actually had my went and got my captain's license because David had a charter service that he ran out of the Outer Banks of North Carolina and uh, I went and got my captain's license while I was in high school. I got my captain's license before I got my driver's license, which is a cool story. Yeah, you know, most people would never imagine that. But uh, once I got graduated from high school, I think two or three days after I graduated, I moved to North Carolina, and uh, I guided saltwater fishing down there for two years. <laughs> but uh, and it was one of those. It was one of those things like we talked about earlier. I mean, my experience down there, saltwater fishing was so small. You know, I, I fished down saltwater a little bit, going on vacations and stuff like that. But literally, I went from being a high school student in a country, you know, countryside town with a bunch of farm fields all around me to living on the beach and taking people saltwater guidance. 
fishing every day of the week. And I did, I was 18 years old taking people out on trips. You know, it was just to have, to have that ability to learn fast and then to be pushed right into like, Hey, you're in charge. You got to teach all these people how to fish and what they're catching and how to catch them and everything. It was sort of like, it was like you either learn fast or you're going to fail. So it sort of forced me to, to become as good as I could, as fast as I could at guiding. And, uh, that's something that I love saltwater fishing. The fish are just bigger, more aggressive, and they end up, most of them taste really good. So I love the saltwater fish. After I did that, I did that for two years. And, um, after two years of doing that, I mean, I didn't want to quit, but I sort of wanted to start bass fishing. That's when I entered, I started entering events as co-angler and traveling with David a little bit more. And then I started doing really well as a co-angler and, just being around the right people and, you know, getting the opportunities to, you know, represent cash like I had in the past two years just sort of all fell into place, you know, and performing well as a trial where they gave me the opportunity to step up as a voter. So that's sort of my, my story, how I got to where I've been. All right. So I, I guess, you know, speaking of Castrol, um, they're not back with FLW. Are they back in some capacity with you or what are your 2015 plans uh, look like? No, I'm I'm working I'm working on a deal with a company I can't mention right now, but I'm looking forward to working with them. I hope everything works out. You know, but as far as Castrol, you know, I still love them to death. I you know don't have any anything against them. They gave me gave me a huge opportunity as a blessing to have them as a sponsor the past few years, and they just business decision wise, they're just going to go a different direction. So they're they are not back with me or like you said with FLW. Okay. I just, you know, I figured I'd check because, you know, there's there's always, you know, depending on, you know, with, with the sponsor changes that have gone on, it's never the same for every single angler. There's obviously a little bit of variation depending on who it is, and I just wanted to sort of check up on your situation. Um, do you... Yeah, it's not, it's not easy. <laughs> not for anybody. I mean, even, even people like David Dudley, he lost the sponsorship too. You know, it's not... He's one of the best anglers in the sport, and he has to go out and try to find sponsors and work hard to please them just like everybody else. So it's it's definitely a challenge. Yeah, although I imagine it's probably a little bit easier for David Dudley than it is oh, for you. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, with, with the track record he has and doing it for whatever, 15 or 16 years he's been doing it, he's got a pretty good resume built up, you know, and, you know, just... My, my lifelong goal is to fish as a professional angler, and I've done it. I want to do it the rest of my life if I can. You know, that's, that's my goal. You know, if I can build a 16-year-long track record, I think it'll look pretty good. Give me 16 years at it. You know, I think I could do something, but we'll see. We'll work at it see how long it lasts. Yeah, well, you you almost did something really special uh, back in August at the Forestwood Cup. Um, can you... What was it like just, you know, going in to day three leading? I mean, what was it like to lead and then af- after day three when obviously you dropped out of the top ten? Like, that is just a tremendous swing. Yeah, it was it was an emotional week. I, probably as far as my fishing career, it's probably one of the biggest highs and one of the biggest lows I've had, you know, that, that Forcewood Cup. It was an amazing event and just... To have the opportunity to fish it was an awesome yeah, chance for me. I got to thinking about that earlier today. I was working on my boat, and um, I remember at Kentucky Lake, 
you know, sweating everything at Kentucky Lake because it was the last regular season event. And literally it's coming down, you know, we're like, man, if I catch this much weight based on the past five times we've been here, I should finish here or I should finish there and I, I should get this many points and blah, blah, blah. And I'll be in the Forcewood Cup or if I don't, I'll be out of it. It was just like a really high pressure event at Kentucky Lake. So, um, I came in, I had like 16 pounds the first day. I was feeling pretty good about it. And I was like, not even nowhere near where I thought I would be because years before, like 16 pounds, two days in a row puts you in the top 10. So I was jacked up, you know, coming to the scales, get to the scales. And I'm in like, whatever, 50 or 60, whatever place I was in. I was like, are you kidding me? You know. But anyway, I did it two days in a row and ended up slipping in. I think I was the last, I think because of ties, I think I was the last person in a tie, three-way tie, to make it into the Forcewood Cup. <laughs> so that was that was an awesome experience just to be able to, like, have all that on the line at Kentucky Lake and be able to make it in. You know, it was pretty exciting. But um, to actually lead day three, I mean, it was just, it meant the world to me to have, I had a bunch of family and friends there supporting me and, you know, just, it was a really emotional uh, day on day two. Um, I had a bad day on day one, lost a bunch of fish. I should have had a really good bag and, uh, shook that off. It was going down the lake. I was going down the lake, uh, first thing in the morning. I don't know if you've heard the story, but on the way down the lake to my first area, the second day, I was thinking about my wife had just prayed for me before we left the dock and she was, you know, praying and saying that how thankful thankful and grateful we are to have the opportunity to be where we are and with you know a tournament organization like FLW and all the opportunities they present us anglers with you know to be fishing on the biggest stage and you know just to be out there fishing in the Forestwood Cup and how how blessed we are you know as not only anglers but as a people in this living this country and I was actually crying going down the lake just humbling myself for how blessed we are and how fortunate I am even though I had a bad day one and whatever I was just like, could not believe how, you know, how amazing of an opportunity this was. And, um, I, I didn't even know where I was going to start. You know, I pulled into my first area, but it wasn't really an area that I've ever fished before. And within like 10 minutes, I caught a good keeper. A couple minutes later, I caught another good keeper. And then I was like, man, this is so amazing. And I left there and just went to another brand new place I've never fished before and caught like a four pounder. And it was just, I was like, just cloud nine. Every move I made was right. And then I, after the morning bite was over, I went out deep and I had grass, probably found 30 or 40 brush piles out deep. And you can ask my co and it was amazing. Every one I stopped on, I caught a keeper or a two pounder off of. It was like every single brush pile at will I could catch them off of. And I was like, you know, I was like, do I keep catching them or do I save them for tomorrow? Or do I keep running all the piles I can trying to catch, you know, maybe upgrade? And uh, the voice of David Dudley was in the back of my head because he was leading after day one. And he's told me a million times, he goes, in these tournaments, you, everything's on the line. He goes, you will catch, you better set the hook as many times as possible. He goes, it's a cumulative weight tournament. Don't save anything for tomorrow. Just catch them, catch them, catch them. So I did. I caught everything I could and ran a bunch of stuff and, uh, Ended up having, I think, the biggest bag on day two was leading. I mean, it was just unbelievable day. And then uh, day three, <laughs> just quite the opposite. I didn't lose any or anything, nothing that I could think of. I just didn't get the bites. And I, 
I think I'm at peace with it because from my understanding of what went wrong is that extended morning we had on day three moved a lot of the fish I was catching out deep. Like those, those early morning fish were just locked, like the ones I caught on day two. But I was really hoping and riding on my tournament success on being a deep bite. And um, when we had that real cloudy morning for like an extra two or three hours, those fish that are roaming out there with bluebacks, when it gets bright and sunny and hot and calm, they sort of hold tighter to cover. They do a little less roaming. And that's where I was catching them on day two. But on day three, we had that extended cloudy, you know, supposedly good morning. <laughs> and uh, all the fish that I would be catching, you know, would roam a lot farther away from those brush piles, roaming with blueback herring. And it didn't get sunny till about 11 o'clock or 1030. So, of course, when I started fishing out in those brush piles, the fish were a thousand feet or a thousand yards who knows how far away they had roamed chasing blueback herring and they hadn't made it back to the brush piles yet so that's i think that's what happened to my body in a while it's so tough on day three compared to day two so on day two in the morning i mean did you even did you even know why you stopped at your first place because it sounds like you kind of just made some kind of gut call and it looked right and you just ended up there yeah i mean i'd like to i'd like to be the you know, that angler's like, yeah, I called my shot. You know, trust me, it looked right. It, I didn't go running to the worst place on the lake by no means, but literally I was running down the lake, you know, just humbling myself before God and how grateful I am. And it was just like, I'm going to stop right here. Like, I didn't, it wasn't like, man, this is the spot I caught him on last week before the cutoff. And blah, blah, blah. I didn't even pre-practice. So I've never fished there, never even seen it before. I said, this is where I'm going to pull in and start my day. I just pulled in and started fishing, so it worked out. Man, that's 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 really incredible. Um, yep. I guess, you know, you obviously, you had a, a great season this year. Are you, are you looking forward to 2015? Do you do you like the schedule? I mean, we're going away from Okeechobee, and you've had a lot of success on Okeechobee recently. Yeah. I, I feel like you've... I think you made the top 10 the first year you fished it, and then last year you were 26th, yep. I think. Um, yep. What do you, what do you yeah. think about Toho? Uh, Toho, I've only ever fished Toho once. And I've, I've fished Kissimmee a couple times. And, I mean, I like it. It's it's a Florida lake, so it fishes, it fishes a lot like you know, other Florida lakes, whether you're fishing – you know, the Harris Chain or Okeechobee or Everglades. Yeah, they a lot of the types of cover fish used are the same. The lakes just have them in different capacities, you know. So, trust me, it broke my heart when they said they're not going to Okeechobee because, I mean, I don't want to curse myself for my future, but I, I got an understanding of what the fish do at Okeechobee and what you need to do to do well. So, it's like I'm highly confident, you know, of my future finishes at Okeechobee will be good. You know, and that's, you can't rely on that. You know, you look at, you know, J.P. Kenny or even Randall Tharp, you know, they randomly, they will have a bad, you know, first tournament down there, but it's rare, you know. And just what I've learned through the experience of fishing with other people and just, you know, being down there over the five or six times I've been down there, it's just like I know exactly where I need to go in general areas and I know exactly what I need to look for. And, you know, it just pays off. So it paid off the first year, obviously, I finished 10th. But 
and it paid off last year. I, I was like one bite away from making the top 20. And uh, what killed me at Okeechobee is I left the area that I was catching them in. I left, um, I left what I knew I needed to do and stayed to what I was like. I was catching them out in the middle of the, of the wide open bay up north. I was way out in the middle. And I kept, my gut kept saying, man, go up there and fish the hard reed edge for a little bit. Just give them a break out here. And then I'd catch one. So I'd stay out there and I'd catch another one and call. So I was like, I'll just stay out here, you know. <clears throat> After the tournament was over, I went back there taking some friends and family out there fishing. We went out there in the open and caught a bunch, like the same, like literally, Jody, the DPS marks. One of the places I caught them really good is like the GPS mark from two years ago, the place I found another big school of them was literally like 30 feet from where they were two years ago this year. No kidding. That's incredible. It's just, yeah. I mean, like I didn't even, I was like, I'm going to get back in this area. And I got back in the area and just started fishing. And then I started catching them. And then I zoomed way in. Like my GPS was zoomed so far out that like you couldn't really see how close you were, how far you were from a GPS mark. So I zoomed way in. It was like 30-something feet from where I caught them when I finished in the top 10. So anyways, long story short, I ended up going after the tournament was over. I went up shallow and probably caught 20 pounds in 10 minutes. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, I knew I did, knew exactly what I should have did, and I just didn't take the time to do it because I was catching good out deep. Or not deep, but out off the bank. Hmm. I mean... I'm excited. I'm excited about Toho. It's just... Not a <laughs> Yeah. I mean, regardless, you uh, you did you did put up a top thirty finish there. I mean that's that's doing pretty good. Um, but yeah, do you? Uh, I guess you know you said you felt like you had Florida figured out at least to an extent. What's yeah? You know, if you were going to give somebody a tip on how to fish in Florida, like what do you feel like some of the uh, keys are? Um, like Florida, a lot of Florida lakes are historical areas like a lot of the lakes you fish up here you don't get in an area and just grind it out and you know like pretty much florida you're going to be throwing some type of swim bait a chatterbait and some type of texas rig <laughs> i mean the bait selection's already there for you you don't need to figure something out crazy with the baits you know and just getting into the areas that generally produce the biggest quantities of fish in Florida and taking your time, like a lot of the lakes up here, you have to run around a lot, fish this area, move to that area, go deep, go shallow. Like down there, you can get into these areas that typically produce, you know, top tens or typically produce top twenties and just like put your trolling motor down and put your head down and just fish. Figure out what they want and where they are in that area. You know, like you can catch them flipping. If they're not up there shallow, you can't. You can't sight fish. You can go out, throw a chatterbait on the outside. You know, it's like, it's just so simple. Like, all the patterns and everything you'll do is already laid out. You know, like, you look at the top 10, you look at the top 10 finishers in the past five years, not counting, like, years where it was, like, super-duper drought. Top 10, someone caught them on chatterbait. Top 10, someone caught them flipping, you know, mats. Top 10, someone caught them on a loud trap. Top 10, someone caught them 
you know, throwing a skinny dip or throwing the big easy. You know, it's like everything's just laid out before you, like, every single year, this is the way it's done every single time. You know, the cover, and, like, I've fished Everglades, I've fished, uh, fished the Coca Lake, i fished Kissimmee, all those super-duper shallow, extremely vegetation lakes. It's like it's the same layout. You just need to get in the area where it typically, typically produces and just find what they want that particular day. Yeah, it's pretty simple. All right, good stuff. Well, anyhow, I think uh, we've we've taken up quite enough of your time, but I've got a couple of questions. Um, I threw out that you were going to be on the podcast on the FLW Twitter account today. We got a couple of questions from fans that I want to hit you with, and then we'll probably call it a day. So. I guess, uh, first off, if you had five rod and reel combos for the entire season, what would they be? <laughs> um, for every single lake, are you saying rod and reels, or are you saying baits, like entire combos? Uh, rod and reels. Don't worry about mm. the baits. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, I only fish with three different rods. I fish with a 7.3 baitcaster like a medium action a 7.6 heavy and a 7.11 extra heavy so if i'm going into a you know a tournament where i'm throwing a baitcaster whether it's cranking or jerk baiting or swim baiting or flipping no matter what 7.3 7.6 7.11 the only three i throw i don't own a rod smaller than that baitcaster wise you know like if i'm throwing something real light small you know like a small crankbait or a small worm 7.3 I'm throwing something like a chatterbait or a jig or something, yeah, you know, a little bit heavier, seven six. Cool. And then I assume you've got a reels, spinning rod just in case. Reels are all well, yeah, I mean I always do, but I'm just saying, you know, spinning rod is a spinning rod. Yeah, you know, if I'm I'm gonna fish every tournament of the year and only three rods, I would leave spinning rods at home and just throw a drop shot and shake your head on a bait caster. Okay. Yeah, you know, but if I had to pick reels, I would pick the lightest fastest reel you can afford i throw i throw all my reels i don't think the brand really matters i'm not sponsored by anybody but like where i have a debate with people is speed the faster the reel the better and you have a lot of people that are old school throw five to ones six four to ones like i throw a 7.9 to one everything cranking flipping top water no matter what 7.9 to one and the reason is, if you get in a car and you want to drive fast, you want a car that can go fast. But if you want to get in a car that goes slow, then you just let off the gas. You just slow down. But if you have a, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you have a 5, 4 to 1 reel, you can't go but only so fast. You know, if I want to speed it up and make my next cast and, you know, sort of, you know, maximize my time and efficiency of fishing, I can reel in a bait a lot quicker with a 7.9 than you can with a 541. That's for sure. Awesome. Um, and then one, well, I've got two more questions. The last one will do sort of rapid fire, but what's your approach to finding fish on a new lake? Huh. It's, it's pretty fun. The, uh, I actually did that twice this far. I fished with two friends of mine on lakes that I've never fished. And, uh, one of them, we fished a little buddy tournament on a lake I've never seen him before in my life and uh we won it and the approach I, I, I do is like seasonal 
like knowing seasonal patterns of fish and whether they're deep or shallow or, you know, creeks or points, you know, I approach seasonally where the bass should be and I fish with my confidence baits always. You know, if, if I, you know, I have probably six or eight things that I 100% know catch bass always, you know, obviously ranging anywhere from a drop shot to a jig to, you know, there's certain techniques. Basically, I pick the highest percentage area on a lake and use my confidence baits. All right. I like it. And then this one, let's take it rapid fire here. What are your five favorite hard baits? Hard baits. Um, I'm going to have to say <laughs> I don't have too many hard baits. I'm a I'm more of a soft plastic guy, but if I had to pick, like this year, I probably won more money on a Mega Bass Vision 110 jerk bait, and, you know, that would probably be the number one from this year. You know, I caught them on a Hartwell, and I caught them at uh, Beaver Lake on it, so... Number two would have to be some type of crankbait, whether it's a, probably something like a shad rat. Number three would be a wiggle wart. Um, number four would probably be a spook. And number five will probably go with uh, 5XD. I, I think those are, those are great choices, uh, especially considering the schedule that we had this last year. Um, I feel like a lot of baits that fit that well. Uh, for right. the... So I got a question on the Vision 110. Have you tried the Lucky Strike ones that look a lot like it? What are your What are your uh, thoughts yeah. regarding that? <laughs> yes, I have. I have both of them in my box. And speaking of my box in general, like my tackle selection, like I'm not I'm not a fanatic about tackle. I don't have the most tackle of anybody. And you know, there's a lot of people on tour that have ten times the amount of tackle that I have. But I will say this about my tackle is the tackle that's in my boat is only tackle that's proven to perform during tournaments. I don't have a bunch of crazy non-proven baits in my box. I only have tournament-proven baits. I only have, you know, certain baits that have caught, you know, fish for me in the past and baits that other people have, you know, won tournaments on and, you know, stuff that fish basically told us that they eat, you know, and as far as the, the Vision 110 versus the RC thing, it's a dollar sign. That fish doesn't know which one costs more regardless. You know, where it comes down to it, it's the same as the old wiggle work versus the new wiggle work debate. Some people might like it because they think it has a different sound or a little bit dif- different action, but I've caught fish on both the Lucky Strike and the Mega Bass. But to answer your question, which one I will throw, I'll throw either of them, but when the money is on the line, you're fishing for $100,000, I'll go ahead and throw a $30 crankbait. Now, right. if I'm fishing at home and fishing around a bunch of cover and I might get hung up and lose it, yeah, it's not really that important. I might pile the $7 crankbait or a All right. I I like it for sure. Um, well, Philip, it's been a pleasure having you on. Um, and before I let you go, where can people find you online? Uh, Facebook, Twitter, anything like that that you'd like people to go follow you on? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I actually run both. I mean, Facebook, I'm a lot more active on. I seem to spend more time on that. You have a, I have a fan page. If you guys would like to go check that out, got lots of stuff. I try to update it when my wife reminds me. <laughs> but um, 
I'm going to probably be posting some striper videos on there pretty soon, so y'all go check that out. All right. Well, uh, Philip, thanks for coming on. Uh, best of luck throughout the rest of the winter, and, of course, best of luck in 2015. All right. Thank you, Jerry. Take care. All right, Jody. So we just got done hearing from uh, Philip Jerevic. I was unable uh, to be in on that interview today. So I guess more so for me, um, I want you to kind of tell me what you thought were some of the cooler aspects of that interview. One of the things that I really liked was, first first of all, you could t- – you can kind of hear the David Dudley in him. Um, he's he's he, he talks a lot more than David Dudley. You know, he'll talk to Dudley, and a lot of yeah. times, unless you really get him going, he'll give you like a ten-word answer, and Jarabek gives you like a ten-minute answer. But there's sort of that same, I don't know, like edge and excitement that you get in his voice. Um, mm-hmm. So I like that. Uh, there were a couple times where I almost thought I was talking to Dudley, and that and that was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, but I guess I really like just sort of his approach to fishing. I mean, we talked about fishing from uh, off, you know, from guiding for stripers and stuff in the ocean to uh, fishing for steelhead to how he goes down and fishes in Florida to how he breaks down a new lake and. It, it was just really interesting to me. Like, I feel like he's simplified his approach a lot. He, I, he's very confident in what he does. And I, I, I thought that was kind of cool. And it was also neat to, to, to hear him say that he's more of a plastics guy than a hard bait guy. And not a lot of people like to put themselves in that box. They like to, no, be, they like they to just don't. say, oh, I'm versatile. And <laughs> I'll catch him anyway. Yeah, but yeah. He was he, obviously he had some success this season throwing hard baits, uh, but it, he was you know pretty willing to say, yeah, I would prefer to throw soft plastics, and that's sort of where I feel like I make my bones, which was kind of cool. Well, and he, uh, I, I think it's it's kind of cool too. I mean, he is so young, but the fact that he's related to David Dudley, and kind of has that. Um, you know, even though, and I've talked to him a lot about it before, you know, like he's obviously fished with Dudley before, but it's not like he's, you know, constantly bugging him and, and, you know, like, Oh, Hey, David, tell me about this. Tell me about this. You know, how do you do this? You know, he's, he's actually picked up a lot of it on his own, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, he spent, I think a lot of his formative years sort of traveling the country, fishing with him, uh, as a co-angler and stuff like that. But He's definitely, at the same time, has made his own way uh, to a big extent. And I think, you know, that that's sort of telling and just looking at his performance and how it's not like every time Dudley has a good tournament, he has a good tournament, too. I mean, they right, right. They're, they are different fishermen, uh, which is cool. Was there anything else uh, that stood out? Did, did, he talk, did you guys talk a lot about his... Uh, uh, his offshore fishing or saltwater uh, fishing experiences? We really didn't talk about it too much. I mean, we mentioned it. Oh. Uh, we got, you know, he, he sort of talked a little bit about why he thought being able to go out and guide and to learn how to guide as quickly as he did was sort of a good preparation for being able to go out on the FLW tour and learn mm-hmm. how to fish lakes and, you know, sink or swim. Uh 
but we didn't really dive in too much to the techniques or the areas or that sort of thing. Oh, sure. Well, I was, I was, I bring it up because I thought it was funny that um, I interviewed him uh, a year or so ago for an article, and in that article, he said that he had his captain's license before he actually had his driver's license, which you know doesn't really surprise me coming from um, you know a family like his, where fishing is kind of king. Yeah, uh, for sure. And of course, listeners already knew that because we talked about that. Okay. Um. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. No. So it was it was a good interview, and I tell you what, I do think that you know I don't know if you re-listened to the podcast or not, but you should listen to the interview because uh, I'm gonna have you'll to because I wasn't there. Too. Um. All right. Interview wrapped up. We're gonna try and incorporate a tip every week from here on out. Uh, it'll be something Kyle or Kyle and I notice. Might be something from the website. Mm-hmm. Um. But this week. I've got a tip based on what I've been doing and recently a lot of, and I've been throwing a jerk bait a lot. Uh, and I've actually been throwing it on 12 pound copolymer. Um, but I also like to throw a jerk bait on 10 pound fluoro. Those are sort of my two jerk bait lines. I don't really have any other, <laughs> anything else I do. I, I don't really know why I change up. But it's made me throwing a jerk bait and like really waiting around and doing some long pauses because that can be pretty key to get into bite. I I feel like it's made me appreciate every time I do it. It makes me appreciate more the intricacies that can go into a jerk bait. Whether you're you know you're working with different rates of sink, uh, you know cha- just changing the hooks out can be that simple or even. Uh, a simple bait bait color change. A couple oh, weekends yeah. ago, Dustin and I were throwing a jerk bait, and he was hooking a lot of fish on it, uh, throwing it with a long pause. Uh, but he was throwing a bait. It was chartreuse on the bottom, chartreuse on top, or chartreuse on the bottom, purple on top, clear on the sides. I changed to uh, purple on top, chartreuse on the bottom, sort of a pearl white color on the sides, so it was opaque. Uh, and basically every fish I hooked from there on out, and I started hooking fish as fast as he was, I landed, whereas he was losing probably half of the fish he hooked. And it was, as far as I can tell, just a color change thing. They were taking my bait a little bit better. And it was as simple as a bait that was just a little, it was a little more opaque and a little more, uh, bland than one that was sort of bright but also clear, and it was it was very interesting. And then just, or, you know, fishing on twelve pound copoly and feeling the difference in how the bait works, and versus uh, fishing on ten pound fluoro and sort of feeling the difference of how the bait works and how it mm-hmm. much crisper it is, and the increased sink it has. It really, I don't know. My tip this week, I guess, is to just. If you're going to throw a jerkbait, be really observant about it and really understand that there are a lot of different things that can impact it. Yeah, yeah. Attention to detail is kind of um, a, a huge, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a big factor in throwing a jerkbait, whether it's line, whether it's hooks, whether it's color, pause rate, sinking, falling of the bait, all that stuff. Yeah, I I would agree. Um, mm-hmm. I think... 
it, it's one of the tech it's one of the techniques where it's probably more important than un, than other techniques i think you know if you're throwing a carolina rig with a big worm by and large you're throwing a carolina rig with a big worm i think most yep. of the time the detail aspect of that seems to be lessened because usually the fish are eating it pretty well and you're maybe offshore and it's summertime but when that water is cold and every little bite is key that you know making those different little adjustments can be important absolutely all right kyle it's news time um you've got something for us right off the website what is it i do and i think it's important um for, for any of the listeners, if you haven't been to flwoutdoors.com uh, and seen some of the stuff we're doing there, absolutely get on there and check it out. Uh, and I just kind of wanted to bring up, there, there's an article that we posted on there um, that one of our main guys, Rob Newell, uh, wrote. And it, it was, uh, it, the article was titled Script or Scramble. And I think we posted it just the other day. Which would be um, Tuesday. Um, so it should still be up in the rotator for people yes. listening, you know, Thursday, Friday, stuff like that. Um, but it was kind of cool because here we are, uh, obviously, you know, Forestwood Cup happened, Gagley already won, uh, and we're getting ready to start a new season. But the way the article is basically about how Gagley already won by one ounce and Scott Canterbury finished right behind him, yet both guys are prime examples of two totally different approaches to tournament fishing and i think um i think one reason i thought it was so cool is because with with the new tournament season coming up here we have you know i think it's great for for any type of angler um to kind of see uh, rob goes into detail uh with kind of talking to the guys and seeing how canterbury's kind of that off the cuff um you know feeling real comfortable fishing completely new water and picking up on new techniques throughout the tournament, which is what he did at the Cup on Murray. Whereas Gagliardi is more of that kind of methodical, I need kind of a game plan. Um, you know, I like to know where I'm going next type of type of angler. Yet here they are, they finished one and two in, you know, the biggest tournament in professional bass fishing. So that was kind of cool. I, I don't know. Did you get a chance to read it, Jody? I did read it, and I, I definitely enjoyed it for the same reasons. I I, I had one kind of quibble with it, and I don't, I don't know that it's a bad thing or not. And I think this probably happens to some degree with everybody. But one of the, one of the biggest keys to Gagliardi winning was when he, at one point he made a gut call to go fish for some schooling fish, instead of making the run all the way up to the river. And he stopped and he caught like his second biggest fish of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say it was on day three, but I'm not sure. And I, I understand that it was not him fishing freshwater. You know, he knew those fish were there. But yep. that was also him not following his script. Uh, so that was my that was my only quibble. But I did really think it was interesting how confident Canterbury is to be able to just run stuff. True. Um, compared to Gagliardi really liking to know what he's faced with. Or at least know that there's potential in an area. Mm-hmm. And figuring it out as he goes rather than just hitting something that just looks good yeah and I, I think i think your one little um note there about gagler making that change i mean all these you know for these anglers that are that good you know they can get away with you know making a gut decision every now and then but it is interesting how by and large you know every tournament of the year those two guys 
kind of have these two completely different mindsets on how they're going to go about spending their, you know, two, three, four days on the water. Yes, uh, definitely. Yeah. So, like I said, if you haven't had a chance to get it or read it, jump on flwoutdoors.com. Uh, it's called Script or Scramble, and I think it's a pretty interesting read, especially for any tournament anglers out there that, you know, are starting to get pumped up for the for the upcoming season. It kind of gives you something to, to dwell on and think about. Uh, definitely. Um, and I, w- I, w- I enjoyed the read, and I really always enjoy Rob's stuff, but that in particular I liked, uh, especially because I can't get enough of the – 2014 Forestwood Cup. Uh, I could watch that. <laughs> I could watch and read about that all day long because it was such oh, a I ride. Hear you. Um, but that's all I got for for uh, for the website. There, we could dive into some actual news now. I think. All right. Well, I think I guess the first thing I want to break down a little bit is uh, my trip out to Ranger and yes. uh, in Flippin, Arkansas. Um, yes. Had you ever done the plant tour before? Uh, no. I've, I've never even been to Flippin. All right, where where Ranger is. Well, I tell you what. Usually, you guys drive to the Beaver Lake event, right? Yep. You need to make a day after the event or before the event and go to Flippin and take the tour. It is the coolest thing ever. Um, I'd never seen a bass boat get made before, and just I was blown away. Uh, from all the specific little processes they do to how much thought goes into it. I mean, they use like 12 separate precisely hand cut pieces of fabric or or not fabric, but pieces of material I'll say Mm -hmm. to put together uh, a butt seat. Oh, wow. Um, And it takes them like something like 60 I think it's like 60 weeks to build enough molds to turn out 10 boats a day because each mold is built so specifically and it takes so long to get each mold correct and perfect so that all the boats turn out exactly right. Like it's, it was incredible to me. And, you know, we got to see the aluminum plant where they're making 12 boats a day and the place is just on fire with you know, banging and crashing and people <laughs> welding and it's just, you know, ripping out and it's incredible. And then the, you know, fiberglass plant where it's the same thing, but it's much, much quieter and it's a little more automated uh, because they've got oh, like, okay. they have this machine. It's a water saw. It cuts at 60,000 PSI and it's entirely mechanic. It's entirely computerized. So like they take a mold uh, of a deck and they'll bring it into this station that has like little windows you can work through look through mm-hmm. and then depending on how they want the deck cut and what deck it is they program that into the saw and it just goes in and it cuts out all the holes for all the deck lids and all the uh the different hatches and all that stuff it's it's wild Dang. um You've got you've got to take the tour. It's so cool. Um, well, I, yeah, I'm pretty jealous that I, I, I a didn't get the invite, and then b uh, had you send me pictures of it, and I saw pictures you were putting on Facebook. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I might have to make a uh, might have to make a trip over there this spring. Yeah, it's it's way cool. Um, you know, I 
as most listeners know, like I've got a Bass Cat. That's my boat that I run. Uh, I like it a lot. I've always, you know, I have never had anything against Rangers, but man, I'm so much more fired up about Rangers now than I was just a week and a half ago before taking the tour. <laughs> uh, it's super cool. Um, well, did, did you get to meet Forrest too? I did. I got, I, I, I believe, you know, I sort of met Forrest in passing a time or two before, uh, but I went, they have this sporting, it's for the Forrest and Nina Woods sporting gallery there. And I, I uh, got to shake his hand, had a mid-length conversation with him, um, got a signed picture that's uh, up cool. in my fridge. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was an awesome all-around experience. On your fridge, you didn't sign that thing or frame it and, and hang it on your wall or something like that? Well, no. I want to see it every day. Uh, oh. Multiple times a day because, you know me, I like to eat. Uh also, I was just kind of lazy, and I was like, well, I'm going to put it on my fridge because <laughs> I got a magnet here, and boom, there it goes. Okay, all right. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was cool. And so the reason we were there, like, we went down, you know, to check it out and all, but it was the – we were there for Ranger – it's called the Ranger Tour Advantage, and it's basically a dealer meeting. They have the reps there. They have a whole bunch of dealers there. They can test drive boats. They can get in them. They've got pros there to – um, to, and it's basically where Ranger teaches the people who are going to sell these boats about their products, uh, so that they can go out and better talk to customers and say, here's why you should buy it and whatnot. And I mean, I guess it, it was super cool. I can see why they do it. Um, and Ranger had their best year ever really? in 2014. And this year was supposedly the best attended Meet, uh, dealer meeting they've ever had so obviously things are going pretty well for them and that was really awesome man that is cool did you i don't I don't know if you brought this up did you get to uh drive around in boats too did you get a test ride boats uh we did um unfortunately well not unfortunately but most of the bass boats which they haven't undergone any major changes there have been you know i think a few tweaks but most of it is sort of the same i think yep. rangers coming up i believe on their 50th year anniversary 50th anniversary in 2018 i think sheesh uh which is incredible to think about it is uh but i think probably my guess would be that you're not going to see too many major changes in the you know z520 c line until then would be my guess i don't know I don't know. I think that's a pretty fair guess. Um, so those boats were mostly taken up, but we got to ride in one of the aluminum boats. It's the RT-188. Oh, how was that? Man, I, I've i wanted one of those aluminum boats for a while. I still want one. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're really slick little boats. They've got so many more creature comforts than the average aluminum boat does, just as far as things that make sense from a fishing standpoint. They've got an 8-foot rod locker. I mean, I can oh, go. Now we're talking. I, which, I'm a big fan of the eight foot rod locker. I mean, I dig it. They're a they're a slick little boat, and we went in there. I think it's the Angler 2080 or something like that, which is, it's not a walleye boat. It's sort of like a multi species boat, somewhere between a walleye boat and like a runabout, or not a runabout, but between a walleye boat and a fishing ski, say. Oh yeah. And it was a pretty 
it was a pretty sweet boat. Uh, it's got some neat little features, and I mean, I I tell you what, if I lived on the Great Lakes, I would definitely own one of those big deep V Rangers, uh, <laughs> or I think I would, because man, they've got such a good ride. I mean, I've been out on Champlain and boats like that, and it was pretty cool. And Bull Shoals is super clear. <laughs> Did you see any fish? No, I didn't see any fish. I was oh, looking okay. real hard. I saw a bunch <laughs> of deer. No fish. Oh. Uh, there were a lot of people out test driving things, uh, so I would imagine maybe that scared the fish away. Probably uh, not, though. Like, how clear are we talking? We're talking, I bet you can see down 20 plus feet. Dang. It is very, very clear. Although, I say dang, but the, the lower end of Beaver Lake is like that. It, it is. It's like that. And I guess, to me, when I got down into the lower end of Beaver Lake and saw how clear that was, I was shocked. I was like, no way there's water this clear. Because mm-hmm. you don't think of it looking up at Prairie Creek or uh, up the oh, river. Yeah. It's like all muddy and you're like, well, okay, it's not going to be super clear down there. But it is. It's it's like that where it's that clear, uh, which is just amazing to me anyhow. Well, cool. So all in all, it was a fun trip. Oh, for sure. It was it was a ball. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Um, well, maybe you'll get an invite next time. Yeah, I I think so. I think I don't know if we're going back next year or not because uh, you know to some extent once you've done it once you don't necessarily need to do it again. But I really hope we go back next year. Well, I mean, if maybe I'll just go by myself next year, and you guys can just you know stay back, stay back, relax. I'll do all the work for you guys. And go down and hang out at Ranger. I really think you should go after Beaver Lake. You guys should make a you should make a point. You should take an extra day. It's it's worth it. Well, that too. I'll make two <laughs> trips. <laughs> there you go. Um anyhow, I guess kinda moving on from that, we've got we we don't have a whole lot of like fishing related news necessarily, but we've got a lot oh, of FLW really. news to dig into here. Uh or at least to mention. Oh yeah, which one do you want? What do you want to mention first? Well, why don't we start off with Buck Knives? Okay. Um, Buck Knives—they uh, signed a multi-year sponsorship agreement with FLW. Uh, mm-hmm. No team anglers, uh, but I tell you what—I'm really looking forward to uh, to working with them and promoting their stuff because. They make some really good stuff. I mean, I've been using the oh, Squizzers yeah. uh, basically since the Forestwood Cup, and, man, they're pricey. And I don't know if, like, I would run out and just buy a pair, but, boy, are they slick. Oh, the Squizzers is probably, like, the greatest tool I've ever had in a boat, I think. Just from, like, cutting standpoint. They like, cut, cut braids so well. It's like butter. Yeah, it's... I mean, I don't know what more you want. And you could you could cut through brush guards really easily, you know, if you're trimming a jig down. Yeah. Um, what else have I cut through? That's about it. I had some fabric ripping off of my my life jacket. Hacked through that. I mean, it's good stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm 100 percent with you on that. It's they're <laughs> they're impressive, and I think uh, I think Buck Knives is going to be a good fit. They've been getting more into bass fishing in recent years, and I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to promoting them. Well, it's cool that um, you know this is a, this 2015 will also be their their first year with us, which is also um, you know pretty cool that they would come on in a multi year thing like that. Um, 
I don't know, I think it says a lot about for how they're growing as a company and how we're growing, uh, you know, in the sport of bass fishing, that they're, they're willing to go in on that. You're, you're right. Cause just to come in the first time without any, without actually having worked with FLW before to come in and do that without, uh, you would think that they would want to come in for a test run for one year and see yeah. what's going on. Yeah. And I, you know, I'd say that's pretty common in, in, in the sponsor world too. Like, you know, first time, okay, we'll see how it goes. And from there, maybe we'll sign a multi-year thing. But, you know, I think that says a lot about, um, you know, their belief in us and, and how they're doing as a company. Yeah. Well, these next two bullet points we're going to talk about might explain a little bit why they're in for multiple years. Uh, because FLW, we re-upped with PowerPole for the fifth year in a row and Strike King for the fourth year in a row. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a big deal. Oh, it's huge. I think that's, it's uh... it's very flattering that PowerPole and Strike King have that much faith in us, uh, that they've stuck around that long, that we've provided oh, yeah. that much value for them, and that they're coming back again. Well, and it helps that, you know, they're realistically what what pro doesn't have a power pole on the back of the boat i mean some guys run talons but i mean it's it's kind of one of those things where like if you got a bass boat and you don't have power poles on it what's wrong with you well it might be that nothing's wrong with you you might just like live on kentucky lake and have a budget um <laughs> well i should say you're, if you're wanting on, to put it <laughs> if you're on tour and you don't have power poles if you're if you're like a uh i guess a professional let's say a professional level angler I mean, it, it's a staple on a boat now. No, they are definitely power poles and talons. They're definitely the type of thing that it seems like at a certain level, just everybody has them. Yep. Um, and it's because they're so useful. And, of course, pretty much everybody has some Strike King baits in their box, too. I was going to um, say, if you don't have a Strike King bait of some kind, again, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> everybody has at least a few uh, a few 6XDs, probably, uh, maybe a Sexy Dog. Um, maybe a square bill or two, uh, some maybe got some plastics. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I, I think that's good news for FLW. I'm glad they're coming back. And I think those Absolutely. are two good companies to have in the fold. Oh yeah. I agree. It's going to be a good year. All right. One more sponsor piece of news and then we'll, I guess we'll get to some actual news and then probably wrap this thing up. Uh, freedom tackle signed Casey Martin. Uh, we love Casey Martin. I oh, love yeah. Freedom. I love Freedom Tackle. I don't know about I don't know about you, but I've been. They make these little jig heads for swim baits where you can change the hooks on and off. Mm-hmm. Wicked slick. Uh, I've caught fish on them. Dad's caught fish on them. They have the white family seal of approval. <laughs> I, I've never I've never used them, but I have heard a lot about them, and I think that's cool for Casey because I mean I'm a big fan of him. I know you're a big fan. Kind of hard not to be a big fan. Yeah, I I agree with you. <laughs> but I like it. Yeah, I uh, I, I dig it as well. Um, and then finally, unless uh, unless Kyle, unless you've got something else here. No, I'm just I'm just getting distracted by uh, by Travis, the producer of Circuit Breaker, is trying to trying to show me a note about how we we need to meet up later and talk about some stuff so i apologize for that well that's that's fine um but i tell you what we need your full attention i'm here i'm here man i i have done nothing else 
since I started talking to you. I I never once. Um, well, I can't help it. I have there's like the only piece of glass I have in my in my office that that looks out to the world, and he happened to walk by, and he caught my eye. But I tell you what, I turned around. I'm ready to go now. I'm ready to go for this this next piece of info. Okay, so the TBF has announced their divisional tournament championship events for 2015. Um, and uh, they're, I, I really, I'll read them all off, but you should go and you should look on the FLW website, go into the TBF mm-hmm. section, the Bass Federation, and check them out because you're probably not going to remember them all from what I'm reading now. But No, but they are no entry fee. Uh, championship events. Yes, they are. Yeah. Uh, and they could get you to the TBF National Championship, I believe, where uh, guys like uh-huh. Mark Daniels Jr. came from and how Absolutely. You know, he made the uh, Forestwood Cup and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Could be you. Anyhow, so the Southwest Division, uh, May 13th through the 15th, is on Clear Lake. The Northwest Division... May 20th through the 22nd is on Noxon Reservoir. Um, the Central Division, uh, June 3 through 5. That's is the 3rd the, to the 5th, yeah. Yeah. Is on the <laughs> Tennessee Tom Bigby Waterway. I don't even know where that is. It's somewhere in Mississippi. I was going to say. I, I've, I've never, never heard of it. Yep, never heard of that. Never heard of the Noxon Re- Reservoir, but I'm sure they're good fisheries. I'm pretty sure... I would guess Noxon is. I mean, it's in it's in Montana, which is kind of cool. I assume that means there's trout. Maybe maybe I'm generalizing the Northwest, but I imagine there's trout. And if there's trout, I imagine there's some pretty good sized fish in there. Yeah, I, that would be my line of thinking too. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of am looking forward to to that one just to find out about that lake a little bit. Um, anyhow, the Southern Division then, uh, June. 10th through 12th is on Lake Norman. We all know where Lake Norman is. The mm-hmm. Northern Division, September 9th through 11th, is on Carlisle Lake. We mostly know where Carlisle Lake is. Yeah, Southern Illinois. Yeah. The Eastern Division is uh, September 16th through 18th on Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire. You ever uh, been there? I never have, actually. <laughs> I've fished the lake north of it called Squam Lake. Oh, uh, but I've never cool I've never been on Winnie. Um, oh, okay. And Squam is excellent fishing. Winnie has excellent fishing as well. Big small All mouth, right. lots of small Ooh. mouth, and some large mouth. I like it. And then the Mid Atlantic Division, September tor- twenty. Bleh. The Mid Atlantic Division, <laughs> September twenty third and twenty fifth. Now that I can talk again, there you go. You pulled it together. Is on Lake Erie, and. We all know where Lake Erie is. It's yeah, where there I mean, are hogs, smallmouth. Yeah, I was going to say, there's kind of some good fishing in there, I guess. Yeah, I mean, sometimes. You know, they occasionally catch six-pound smallmouth, and that's a pretty cool deal. As long as there's not, like, you know, seven-footers out there, should be a good tournament. Yeah, and you know what? Even if there are seven-footers out there, uh, well, I don't know. It's going to be somebody's going to catch interesting. It. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it will definitely be interesting. That's a that's a very good way to put it. All right, that wraps up the. That's all the uh, the championship events, right? Yeah, I, I think that's it. We've gone through all those divisions. I would urge you uh, 
go go online, go to the FLWoutdoors.com, uh, click your way over to the TBF section, and you'll see that posted right there. Uh, you can you can get all your dates for your for whatever division you're in. There's a nice graphic too, in case somehow you're unsure. But yep. really, if you're part of the TBF, you probably already know this stuff because you're really looking forward to that. But if not, you know, if not, you know. Yeah, I was going to say there's even a link inside that article too to take you to the TBF uh, website, and you can look into memberships and all that stuff. Yeah, which could be a very good thing to do because fishing in a bass club is awesome. It is. Uh, with that, I think I think we're done for this week. I think that I think that's it, right? I believe I, so. I, I, don't, I don't really have anything else to add. Uh, in that case, guys, you can uh, find FLW FLWoutdoors.com. You can follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube. Uh, I believe that's it. And um, yeah, and if you if you have, um, you know, for listeners out there, if you have anything you want to hear Jody or I talk about, or if you'd like to have, or if you'd like us to have a, a certain guest on, um, or anything, you just want to ask us any question, feel free to email us at podcast at flwfishing.com and we'll see if we can answer any of those. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jody Blanco. Guys, thanks for listening this week. We'll be back next week. 